we'll go ahead and get started. This is Romans part 25, and we are still in Romans chapter 8, and we'll be looking at verses uh, 19 through 27. Uh, so we'll start in verse 19. It says, For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Not only they, but ourselves also, which had the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to with the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Um, so verse 19, it says, For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. I believe the creature here in this verse is speaking of humans, specifically those who are saved, uh, because it's in the context of verse 18, where he talked about, um, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And that glory that's going to be revealed in us is, of course, our resurrection. Um, it says in Colossians, when he appears, we will appear with him in glory. Speaking of Christ, in Colossians 1.27. Um, Christ was glorified after he resurrected and ascended up to heaven. He sits on the right hand of the Father. Right? He is glorified in heaven. He is the first fruits of the resurrection, it says in 1 Corinthians. Um, likewise, we will be as him at that time when he appears in glory. We will appear with him uh, at the resurrection. And so the sufferings of this present world can't compare to that. Right? We talk about how Paul, when you look in, I think it's 2 Corinthians where he talks about all these things that he had endured, you know, being beaten four or five times by 39 stripes, shipwrecked, and deaths often. He gave a, like a list of five verses, and that was before he wrote the book of Romans, right? So with that suffering in mind, thinking of Paul, he says that can't even compare, right, to the glory that will be revealed in us. And then in verse 19, he says, For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. So the creature here is those who are saved. And we wait for the uh, manifestation of the sons of God, which again is when we are clothed in glory. Uh, if you look at 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. So the manifestation of the sons of God is again when we appear with him in glory, when we get our new body, our resurrected body. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5, it says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. <clears throat> for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that have wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also have given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. So God has given us his spirit, and in verse 2 it says, We groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Speaking of that new body, that celestial body, that perfect body, uh, where we will never die. And so he says we, we earnestly, right, groan for that, desire that to, to happen. 
Uh, I like the phrase in verse 4 where he says that mortality might be swallowed up of life. So it's kind of the opposite, right? Life, when you die, is swallowed up in mortality, right? You die. That life is gone. But in the resurrection, mortality is swallowed up in life, right? And you now have life when mortality is gone. So again, there's that glory, that uh, hope that we have. So he says that's what uh, the earnest expectation of the creature waits for that, right? That manifestation of the sons of God, our, our resurrection. Uh, verse 20, he says, for the creature was made subject to vanity. Uh, and this has to do with the curse where the creature, human, was made subject to vanity. Uh, look at Genesis three seventeen through 19. It says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, curse is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Now if you look at Psalms 39, 4-6, so again, part of the curse was death. Um, dust thou art, unto dust wilt thou return. Psalms 39, verse 4 through 6, it says, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man in his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Surely every man walketh in a vain show, Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. So again, you think about this life here on earth, it's vanity. And every man is subject to that, right? It's appointed unto man once to die. We are under this curse. We are in Adam. Um, so again, you think about your life, what he says there in Psalms is it's but a handbreadth, right? In comparison to God, it's nothing, right? You live here 60, 70, 80 years, and then you're gone. Right, you heap up riches on this earth, and you don't know who's going to gather them when you're gone. It says, right. So again, it's vanity. You think about popular people in the world; how many millions and billions of people there are, and very, very few make an impact on history that we remember today. Right. I mean, president. Who can name all fifty presidents? Right. You have to study that to know, right, who the fifty presidents are. Because only a few of the presidents have really made a major impact, right? You know, the first one, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, right? The worst one, Barack Obama. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, depends on who, what your opinion is there, right? But you have these opinions, right? And these men who make impact on history. But in light of the billions of people that have been on the world, right? It doesn't, right? There's very few is the point. Um, it's vanity, right? You think about people who aspire to be right, a CEO of a major company. I couldn't tell you any CEOs that I know, right? I hardly know the president of Duke Hospital where I work. I think it's Eugene is his name. I don't know his last name. Washington. Eugene Washington, right? The point is, right, people work to obtain status in this earth, but after they die, they're forgotten like that, right? It's vanity is what Paul says here. We're subject to vanity. Uh, he says, not willingly, but by reason of him who's subjected. Um, so again, we didn't choose to be subject to vanity, right? We didn't wake up, Adam didn't wake up one day and say, you know, I want to be subject to vanity as a, as a human, 
right? He didn't choose that. That was part of the judgment that God put on him, right? Of course, he made the choice to disobey God, but he didn't choose to be subject to vanity. That's what it means by not willingly, right? It was God who gave the judgment. Um, Adam sinned, but he didn't choose that, right? It wasn't his choice. Like, he didn't ask for that. Um, but when you reject God, in a sense, you are asking for it, right? That's all that's left is vanity. If you reject God, you are asking for vanity. Um, so not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same in hope. So again, God is the one who judged, but he did not leave us under the curse without hope, right? He's the one that subjected the same in hope. So again, he gave us hope. Uh, again, from the very beginning, in Genesis 3, verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So again, this is the first prophecy or promise that one would come from the seed of the woman and would... Uh, bruise the head of Satan, right? Again, that's a prophecy of Christ. Again, it's not the full revelation, right? It's just a prophecy that someone will come. But again, that's that hope, right? You had that hope given there in Genesis 3.15, and the rest of Scripture, right, plays that out and gives more information as you go throughout. But again, you have that hope that, that Jesus gives. Uh, Genesis 12.3 Says, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So again, a promise to Abraham that in Abraham all the families of the earth will be blessed. Again, that's a promise of hope, especially for the children of Israel, right? That they would be a nation over the other nations, and that through their line, Christ came, right? Which is part of that prophecy. That's how the earth gets blessed, right? Through Christ, and that came through Abraham, his line. So you had that promise given to Abraham there in Genesis 12, which again was part of that hope that we have. Uh, Colossians 1.27. Again, for us, our hope is resurrection, eternal life. Uh, Paul says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So as a Christian, Christ in you, that is your hope, and that's the hope of glory, that you are in Christ and you will be as he is one day. Um, so again, he subjected us to vanity as part of the curse, but he didn't leave us in that, right? He gave us hope as well, um, knew that he would send Christ, right? God planned that before the foundations of the world. Um, verse 21, he says, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Um, again, this is when Christ appears, 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-two. That's when we're delivered from the bondage of corruption. It says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. And here in this context, Paul's talking about the resurrection, of course, and he gives the uh, example of a seed, right? You sow that seed, that seed has to die before it sprouts, right, before it grows that plant. And so the same for, right, the body, it dies and goes into the ground before it can be raised incorruptible. So he says it's sown in corruption, right, it's dead, the body dies, but it's raised in incorruption. 
Um, so again, that's uh, what we are delivered from, the bondage of corruption, right, when we have the resurrection. And to the glorious liberty of the children of God. Um, the glorious liberty, again, is speaking of those who will never die, having the resurrection. If you look at Luke 20, Verse 36, Jesus says, Neither can they die any more, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. So again, those who are the children of the resurrection are the children of God. And he says they're like the angels, right, because they cannot die. Um, so there you have the children of God are those who are the children of the resurrection, those who are like the angels that don't die. So again, here in the context, Paul speaking of the hope that we have of being that hope being glory, right, resurrection, uh, when we're delivered from the bondage of this corruption, this body, this flesh, right, that's going to die, um, and we're changed into the glorious liberty of the children of God, having that new body and living forever. Uh, verse 22, he says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. So again, another reason I say that the creature in verses 19, 20, uh, 21 is speaking of the Christian in verse 22, he says the whole creation. So again, this encompasses everything, the whole creation, even the planet, right? I believe the animals, uh, the plants, right? We know that everything groans. Because again, you see verses that speak of, right, lion laying with sheep, right? You have that peace in the kingdom, right, at the end times. Uh, whereas now, right, you have torment, right? Lions killing sheep, right? Death, right? Because it's part of the curse. Uh, but here he says the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain uh, together until now. Uh, so again, it was the whole earth that was cursed, not just man, back when man sinned. Look at Genesis 5, 29. It says, And he called his name Noah, saying, This saying shall comfort us concerning our work and toll of our hands, because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. So again, even in Noah's day, they knew that the ground was cursed, right? That God had cursed it. Again, being part of that curse given in Genesis 3 when Adam had sinned. Uh, together until now, it says there in verse 22, meaning that no one is exempt from the fallen state, right? Or from the curse, even today, right? The whole world is groaning even up until now, right? Today, we still groan. Um, for the resurrection, right? For things to be made new, uh, for Christ to come back and establish his kingdom, right? And set things set things right. So again, even today, the whole creation is groaning for that. It says, and not only they, but ourselves also, which had the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So not only they, again, Christians also face suffering. Uh, and we're still in this present evil world. 2 Corinthians 5, 2, it talked about how we groan for our new body, right? Earnestly waiting for that. Uh, Galatians 1, 4 talks about how this is a present evil world, right? And we as Christians, we live in it. Verse 3, it says, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. So again, Christ gave himself so that he could deliver us from this present evil world. So here in Romans, he says, right, the whole creation groans for that day, but even we ourselves, right, 
we had the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan for that day too because we are still in this flesh, right? We are still waiting uh, to be delivered from this present evil world. Uh, the first fruits of the Spirit, uh, Paul being a Jew could possibly be referring to the Jews here who were the first to receive the Spirit. Um, it's kind of unclear who he's referring to when he says the fir first fruits of the Spirit. He could just be talking about those in that early right Acts period, whether it was the Jews or Gentiles even who received the Spirit first. Um, but the Jews were the first to receive it in Acts 2 at Pentecost. It was only Jews there. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. So again, specifically, he's talking about the 12 uh, apostles, the 12 disciples who received the Spirit there first. But they're there with a bunch of other Jews who do receive the Spirit as well. So again, it's kind of interesting. Who is Paul referring to? Could be the Jews. Could just be talking in general of those who received it first in that uh, Acts period. Uh, but nevertheless, right, they're groaning for that day of redemption as well. Um, another verse to look at to show you that it could have been the Jews is Hebrews 6. It says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. So here it talks about those who were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Again, that would have been in that early Acts period when that happened. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean they received the Holy Ghost. They were just partakers. They tasted of it. Right? You think about the miracles that the apostles were doing. Right? There was people there that could have tasted of that, right, experienced it, but maybe rejected it later on, right, didn't believe in Christ or in the apostles' message. But again, that would have been that early Acts period. So that could be who Paul's referring to when he says the first fruits of the Spirit. Uh, but you can do your own study on that. Uh, but I thought that was interesting. Uh, but he says uh, that we are waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So again here you have... Uh, a contrast to verse 15 in Romans 8, where he says, we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And here he says, we're waiting for the adoption. So again, there's a difference between the spirit of adoption and just adoption, right? We have that spirit of adoption, but we don't yet have the full adoption. We don't yet possess it. Um, that doesn't take place until our bodies are redeemed, which is what he says, to wit the redemption of our body. Uh, that happens when Christ comes back. Again, adoption in the Bible doesn't mean, right, you go to Africa and get a kid and adopt him. It means a son going into basically being now an adult son, right, being uh, the placing of an adult son is what it means, placed in privilege, liberty, and duty of an adult son. So again, you don't have that full state of being a son of God and all the privileges until you have right, your resurrected body. So we have that spirit, right? We possess it. We act as though it's so because we have that promise. So we have that spirit of adoption, but we're still waiting for that 
to fully take place. And again, that happens uh, at the redemption of our body. It's kind of like, if you think about adoption in the American sense, you've already taken the kid and he's living in your house, you just haven't signed the papers yet. Right, so the spirit of it is there, but you haven't signed the papers yet to make it legal. Right, it's kind of the sense. We have that spirit of adoption, right? We are the sons of God, but we don't experience the full thing until the redemption of our body. Uh, verse 24, he says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? Uh, we are saved by hope. Salvation does not always mean salvation from judgment of sin. Um, if you look at Exodus 14, 13, in the Old Testament, and a lot of passages referring to Israel, it has to do with salvation from their enemies. It has nothing to do with the salvation of their souls or salvation from judgment of sin, but salvation from enemies. Again, you think about the promise given to Israel was that they would be a nation over the other nations. So they wanted salvation from their enemies. right? They wanted to win battles against them because they had a promise to be over them. Um, Exodus 14, verse 13, uh, it says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. So again, this is when they cross over the Red Sea, right? And they cross over. Moses says, right, today you will see the salvation of the Lord, because God is going to destroy the Egyptians in the Red Sea. Right? He says, the Egyptians you've seen today, you'll see them no more forever. Right, because God's going to destroy them. So salvation in this context was salvation from the Egyptian army. Um, 1 Samuel eleven thirteen. Another place. It says, And Saul said, There shall not a man be put to death this day, for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. Again, because the Ammonites in this chapter were defeated. They had defeated the Ammonites. So Saul says salvation was wrought in Israel today. Again, that was salvation from their enemies, the Ammonites. Psalms 34, 7. It says, The angel of the Lord encamped round about them that fear him and delivered them. I don't think that's the right verse. Hmm. says, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles, in verse 6. So saved him out of all his troubles. Again, saved, salvation doesn't always mean from judgment of sin, right? The saving of your soul, as we might think of it today, right? Again, you have to read the context, especially when you're reading about Israel. Again, it often refers to salvation from enemies, uh, their nation being saved, right, from other enemies. Uh, so here it says, we are saved by hope. The reason I make that point it's because you could take this verse out of context and say, right, we're saved by hope. Well, we're saved by grace through faith, right, not by just hope. Uh, so that's why I said that. Uh, in this context, again, in the context of 21 through 23, uh, the redemption of the body is the hope that we are saved from corruption, right? Again, we will be saved from corruption, and we're saved by hope, right, hope in the resurrection. Right? So again, it's not talking about judgment from sin, you're saved that way by faith in Christ's death and resurrection. And faith is what strengthens hope, right? Without faith, you have no reason to hope, right? So it kind of goes hand in hand, uh, but I just want to make that point, right? Saved doesn't always mean, right, salvation of the soul. We're saved from corruption by hope in the resurrection, right? Um, 
hope that is seen is not hope. Uh, he says here, so if you see what you're hoping for, then you no longer hope for it because you've seen it, right? I'm hoping to eat pizza tonight, and I eat the pizza, see the pizza. I'm no longer hoping for it because I see it, right? There's no reason for hope once you've seen it, right? So Paul says, right, we haven't seen the resurrection yet. So that's why we're hoping for it. Um, we're saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why if he yet hope for? Right, it's common sense. Why are you hoping for something that you've seen? Right, you've seen it. You've experienced it. Uh, so why do you hope for it? Uh, we are saved by grace through faith, but we have a hope in the resurrection whereby our salvation will be made complete. Right, so again, we have the promise of salvation. Right, our soul has been saved. Right, you had that promise, but you don't experience that fully again until the resurrection. That's when it will be made complete. Um, hope is not a wish. Uh, hope does not mean, right, I hope so. Right, you don't just hope for something. Hope is certain by faith. Okay, so when he says we hope for the resurrection, it doesn't mean, well, I hope it happens. You know, I'm not really sure. I hope so. You know, I hope that's going to happen. That's not what hope is. Hope is, right, you believe it. You're hoping for it. You're waiting for it. Right, you believe it's going to happen. Uh, it's certain by faith is what biblical hope is. Uh, if you look at Hebrews 11, 1, uh, many probably know this verse. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So again, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So again, hope has a substance, right? That substance is faith. So again, you hear the gospel, right? Christ died for your sins, resurrected. You can have eternal life uh, through Christ and by faith in what he did for you, right? Now you have hope because you have faith in what Christ has done, right? So faith is that substance of things hoped for. That's uh, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 14 through 15 says, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So again, Paul says he looks at the things not seen. Right? Those are the things that are eternal. Again, that goes back to what we've reading here in this context, right? Our hope, that hope of glory. The glory that uh, can't be compared to the sufferings of the world, the glory that will be revealed in us. Right? That's what Paul looked at. Those are things not seen. Those are things hoped for. Our faith is in the promise we have in Christ. Right? And that's what gives us strength. Right? He says to go through these light afflictions, which last but a day. Right, again, our time here on earth is vanity. So again, this doctrine of knowing your hope, right, the hope of glory, understanding who you are in Christ, that's what gives you strength and patience to endure suffering through this world. So again, this isn't just this doctrine that should be working in you, right, when you think about it and put it in your mind, this hope of glory that we have, right, that's what gives us the strength to endure, continue to do the work of the Lord, even though we might have suffering through it, right, it's that hope of glory that should be your motivation, um, knowing that you have that by faith in what Christ has said. And that's what he says here in this verse, uh, verse 25, but if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. All right, so again, we're hoping for it, even though we haven't seen it. 
So we, with patience, uh, wait for it. Again, it's not a hope so. That hope is certain through faith. Um, so because we have not received our new bodies, we are subject to wait for. Right? We have that promise. We have that spirit of adoption. We just haven't received it fully. So we uh, patiently wait for it and press on. Verse 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. In the context here, our infirmities is waiting for the full salvation. Right? It doesn't necessarily mean the Spirit helps all our weaknesses, which is what infirmities mean. In the context, it's the infirmity, I believe, of right, not having yet received our um, heavenly body. Right, We're still in this flesh. We still have that weakness of Romans 7, right? the Spirit against the flesh, doing the things I don't want to do. Right? The Spirit helps with this infirmity, uh, being in our flesh, not having yet the redemption of our body. He says, For we know not what we should pray for. He says, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Uh, if you look at 2 Corinthians 12, 8. Or in verse 7, it says, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So again, you could say here, Paul maybe didn't know what he should have prayed for. Because he prayed for this thorn in the flesh to be taken away, and God said, No, right, my grace is sufficient for you. If Paul knew the will of God, he wouldn't have prayed for it in that sense, right? Because God, he knew God was going to say no. So I think that kind of goes hand in hand, right? We know not what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit helps that infirmity. Um, this is also important to know that in this dispensation of grace, uh, prayer has a different role than it did with the kingdom and the covenant with Israel. Um, you think about prayer today, know not how you ought to pray. When you have decisions, when you pray for loved ones, don't really know what to pray for, right? Do I pray for them to be healed? Do I pray for them to have strength? I don't really know what to pray for. Okay, I have this decision and that decision. You know, how do I pray? Which one do I do? Right, so you gotta just pray, well, Lord, help me, you know, make the right decision. I right, don't really know what to pray for in this dispensation. Uh, whereas in the kingdom, if you look at Matthew 21, 22, says, in all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. So it says, whatever you ask in prayer, as long as you believe it, right, you'll receive it. Well, if I don't know what I ought to pray for, but I believe what I'm praying for, and I receive it, you're going to have a mess, right? Because I'm praying for what I don't know, but I'm going to receive it, if these are, right, going hand in hand at the same time. But they don't, right? Prayer today has a different role. Um, Matthew 21, 22 will once again take effect when the kingdom comes. And it's because of Hebrews 8.11, where it says, And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Knowing the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. So again, the Spirit will make known the will of God to them. They'll know what they ought to pray for, and they'll receive it, right, and believe in it. Uh, but that's not the promise that we have today in prayer. Right? We don't know what we ought to pray for. We make our supplication known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding fills our hearts. doesn't mean we receive what we ask just as we saw with Paul, because we don't know what to pray for. Right? But the Spirit helps that. 
part of the Spirit helps uh, make intercession for us, it says here in this verse. Um, because the Spirit uh, knows the will of God, is what it says. Um, it says, The Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Uh, so this is how the Spirit helps our infirmities, and that's why it's important to be in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Right? The Spirit makes intercession for us. That's how it helps our infirmities. Uh, that's how it uh, intercedes for us, by praying for what we don't know we ought to. Right, The Spirit does know what the needs are. It says, And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. Uh, so who is the one that searches the hearts? Of course, that's God. If you look at Genesis 6, 5. says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So again, God looked at their hearts, the imagination of their hearts, and that it was only evil continually. I feel like at Acts 1.24. It says, And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether these two thou hast chosen. This is when the 11 apostles are choosing their 12th one after Judas had died. Uh, and they cast the lots between Matthias and I forget the other guy's name. Uh, Joseph, maybe, Braspus. Yeah, verse 23, Justice and Matthias. And so they cast these lots, which is like dice, to see which one of them is going to be the next apostle. And they pray for God, right, to make the dice land on the right person because God knows the heart. Right, so what it says there. So point being, God is the one who searches the heart. So here in Romans, he says, He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because uh, he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So I think that because is important. Uh, he knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit makes intercession according to his will. Right? It's not just because the Spirit makes intercession, but because the Spirit makes intercession according to God's will. Right? So that's how the Spirit is able to help us, because the Spirit... Is helping us according to God's will, or right? He's making intercession according to the will of God. So again, we don't always know what we ought to pray for. We may not be praying for the will of God, but we have the Spirit in us who does know the will of God and makes intercession for us according to that. Uh, prayer should always align with the will of God, right? And this is why God hears the Spirit's prayers, right? Because the Spirit will always align with the will of God. Uh, so the more you know the will of God, the more you will know what you ought to pray. Right, uh, and I think we've had some lessons on prayer talking about that. Right, the will of God, what it is, what you should be praying for. Um, doesn't mean you can't pray for things. Right, make requests to God. You can't have that peace knowing God hears. But the more you study and understand God's will, what He's doing today, the more your prayers will align with uh, the will of God, and you will know more what you ought to pray for. Right, what is God doing today? Answer that question and align your prayers with that. Right. Uh, so any thoughts or questions?